not brave to go stumbling about in the dark when you have a torch in your pocket. It's not brave, it's just daft. Walk and stumble in the dark and the way will seem endless and you're sure to become discouraged and confused. You're likely to get lost, maybe even give up. You'll be a danger to yourself and you'll be a danger to others. But when the path is lit up, everything changes. Sometimes it feels like you're stumbling about in the dark. The world can be such a confusing place. Christian world too. Unmoral issues. Is it right to do this? Is it right to do that? Standards aren't as clear as they used to be. Where do Christians go for entertainment? Who can we have as our friends? Can a Christian drink alcohol? What about Sunday? What do we do on Sunday? What do we teach our children about those things? What rules do we impose on them? Probably not the rules that were imposed on us. They wouldn't tolerate that. Well, were those rules too rigid? Were our parents too strict back in the day? Or were they right? Have the standards slipped? Has it gone too far? Sometimes it seems like anything goes these days. Or what about serving and giving? How much time should we give up for Christian things? What about family commitments? Are they not important? How about money? How much should you give? And do you have to give a tenth? What about the other commitments that you have to meet these days? Should we save? Should we have insurance? What about pension provision? How much should we put into property? How much treasure should a Christian store up on earth in days when thousands are going to hell every day, never having heard the gospel? And missionaries can't go out to the field because there isn't the support. Questions, questions, questions. So many issues to think about, so many decisions to make, what to do. And it used to be that everybody agreed on issues like I'm thinking about here, and it was much easier then, but it's not anymore. Everybody has a different opinion, and even the people we should be able to look to for leadership and guidance seem to be confused just as much as we are. It's all very, very confusing. I haven't even mentioned the doctrinal stuff yet. You have Methodists, you have Presbyterians, you have Dispensationalists, you have Charismatics, you have Protestants, you have Catholics, not to mention all the other religions. Isn't everybody entitled to an opinion? Who's to say I'm right, they're wrong? How do you know you're right? And church practices, how far do you go to accommodate modern preferences? Where do you draw the line? All very, very confusing. And sometimes it feels like, as I say, you're stumbling about in the dark. Seeing too many Christians losing their way and giving up over the years. 
And it's not always because they have been drawn into temptation and, and sin. Some of them just got lost in the confusion. And some of them were taken in by clever, wrong teaching, and they didn't know what they ought to believe, and they were led astray, and some had no clear idea about what's right and about what's wrong, and they drifted unawares into sin, and some of them just got so confused and wearied with it all that they gave up. Well, the world was every bit as confusing back in Peter's day when he wrote his second epistle. I've told you what it was like next to no moral standard. There was pressure to conform, there was opposition, and settled lethargic Christians who were easy prey for false teachers. And for the Christians Peter wrote to, the world was a confusing place and Peter knew it wasn't going to go away and he knew it was going to get worse. He says in chapter 2, there will be false teachers among you and many will follow their destructive ways. And because of that, Peter wanted them to be strong, strong godly Christians, not stumbling about in the dark. So he told them, and it's for us too, you have the kind of faith you need if you'll use it. And you have everything else you need to be a strong, godly Christian too. Be diligent to use what you've got. Take that faith that you've got and add to it. Add some energy. Add some knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and, and love. And he told them, you need to be reminded of these things. So he said, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's verses 13 to 15. Peter says, look, I'm not going to be around much longer, so I'm making sure that when I'm gone, you're going to be able to recall the things I have just said to you. But then he went on, he said, there's something else you need to know if you want to be a strong, godly Christian in dark days like these. You need to know that there is no need for you to be confused and go stumbling about in the dark. Does it sometimes feel like you are stumbling about in the dark? Well, Peter's going to tell you that there's no need for that. When we moved into the house we're in now, it was a scary adventure going out into the backyard at night. It was dark out there. It was pitch black. If you had to go to the shed for something, you were stepping in puddles, who knows what else. You were bumping into things, you were tripping over things, and you had no idea what monsters were lurking out there. Nobody wanted to go outside at night. Even the dog refused to go out. You were taking your life in your hands. And then we got two of those 1,000 watt floodlights. You know the kind with the motion sensors? And suddenly it was safe. You could feel confident when you went out. You didn't bump into things anymore. You could see the puddles and avoid them and all the other dangers too. And the monsters were scared away and now the children played out there at night. 
running in and out, triggering the sensors. They had a great time. And we didn't have to go searching for them because they weren't getting lost anymore. Man, those lights were so bright you could even convince yourself it was warmer on a cold night. When it's dark, it's scary, it's confusing. You don't know where to turn, what to do. You're vulnerable, you're easy prey, you can get lost. When it's dark, you need light to show up the hidden dangers. You need light so that you can see the right way to go. You need light so that you won't get lost. And the world is a dark place. How often we have said that over the past few weeks. Well, you need light. And Peter says, you've got it. He says, you have the kind of faith you need. He says, you have everything else you need to be a strong, godly Christian. And he says, you have light. The world need not be a dark place. Verse 19, we have the prophetic word which is more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. What's this prophetic word then that's like a light that shines in a dark place? Well, Peter's talking about the writings of the prophets. The scriptures of his day, the next verse confirms that when he says no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation. He's referring to the books we call the Old Testament. Today the scriptures include the New Testament books as well. They've come to be recognized as being on an equal footing. So we could say we have the Bible which is more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. The Bible, the Word of God, you do well to let it be your guide. It's like a light shining in the darkness. Peter's first point about the Bible is that it's totally dependable. He says we have the prophetic word which is more sure. And what he means is that this book is more sure, more reliable, more dependable than anybody's experience. You hear people saying, I don't believe everything in the Bible because in my experience, whatever. Or I can't believe that because I think. Well, according to Peter, the Bible is more sure even than what you think. You could be wrong. The Bible is never wrong. You hear people talking about being guided by their experiences. They'll say to you, the Lord told me. I had a dream. I had a vision. Someone came to me with a message from God. But Peter sets the Bible, he sets Scripture above even his own experience. He says in verse 16, the things that I am telling you are not just stories and ideas devised by some clever people. And then he goes on, for when he received glory and honor from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word which is more sure. We were with Jesus, he said. We've heard God speak from heaven. We were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible is even more reliable than that experience. And in the following verses, he tells us why he's so sure that the Bible is never wrong. 
He says, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not just ideas dreamt up by men and women. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the miracle of inspiration, which is so often underestimated and taken for granted by Christians. We have the notion that the Bible came about and is reliable because as those men were writing, the Holy Spirit was sitting on their shoulder, whispering into their ears and saying, write this. And that would be a miracle if that had happened. But what really happened was even better than that. And God didn't put the writers into some kind of a trance and make them write what they wrote. What happened is more marvelous than that. For you to have your Bible sitting there in front of you now, first of all, God had to plan and cause the events that are recorded in it to happen. All of those amazing stories in the Old Testament, God had to make them happen before they could be written down. Then he had to prepare the people who would write about those things. He had to be with them as they grew up and shape their personalities and give them their different styles. As you read the Bible, you see each of the writers has a different style of writing because they were different people with different personalities. God used those people with their personalities to write in exactly the way he wanted it to be written. So he had to shape those personalities and make them the kind of people they were. He had to then bring them onto the scene at just the right time so they were present in the places that they needed to be and they were writing at the times when the things they wrote needed to be written. And then they were moved to write using their own thoughts and their own experience. And even though it was their own thoughts and their own experience, yet the Holy Spirit was bearing them along so that every word was perfectly as God intended it to be. Not only that, but for you to have your Bible sitting there in front of you today, God had to cause each of the books in there to be recognized by his church. And then he had to preserve it through 2,000 years, even though countless powerful people have tried to have it done away with. God did all that so that we can be sure that every word we have in here comes from God himself. There are no mistakes. Everything it says, it's as if God himself were saying it. You can depend on that. And that's what every Christian has believed for 2,000 years. It was never even questioned until about 150 years ago. Now it is questioned. There are people out there who would scoff at what I'm saying to you just now. And there are even some who claim that they're Christians who would scoff at what I'm saying to you now. They claim they're Christians, but they're not. But it's not an unreasonable thing to believe. History supports it. There are other records of a lot of the events in the Bible and they support what's written in the Bible. Archaeology supports it. A lot of what's in here has been confirmed by archaeologists. 
fulfilled prophecy supports it. You know, there is no other book that has a record for getting predictions right like the Bible has. It has been preserved for 2,000 years. That has to have been God's doing when you think of the forces and the powerful people that tried to do away with it. It's been used by God to transform countless lives. Think of all the biographies you've read of Christian people, the transformations that took place in their lives, and all the thousands and thousands of ordinary Christians who didn't make it into books. It has transformed countless lives, and it has transformed the world. If you just try to imagine a world where the Bible has not had an influence, I don't think you could do it. It has shaped virtually every society right across the world. Its laws, its politics. It's amazing the influence the Bible has had. Do you know there is more evidence for the authenticity of the Bible than there is for the authenticity of the writings of Shakespeare? There's a whole list of reasons. We could go on for ages. A whole list of reasons why it's not unreasonable to believe that the Bible is the infallible, inspired Word of God. Every word. If you want to read a wee bit more about it, you check out the blog on, on my website. I did a wee series on that there. Or if you want to really get into it, Josh Medole's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, deals with it very well. Charles Wesley really put it very simply. He said he didn't need to hear all the arguments. He said, just consider the alternatives. The Bible can't have been made up by men. Good men couldn't have made it up. They would never have been so deceitful. And bad men couldn't have written it either because it leads us to be good. That it was written by God is the only possible explanation for the Bible. But over and above all of that, the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God. It's recorded in the Bible that Jesus regarded the scriptures of his day, the Old Testament, as the Word of God, every word of it. And it's recorded that the apostles regarded it as the Word of God. Paul, in one place, even bases a whole argument on one single word, on whether that word is singular or plural. Now, if that claim recorded in the Bible is wrong, then there's nothing in the Bible that is right. At least there's nothing you can be sure is right. Anything in it could be a lie. Your Bible is useless to you. But if that claim recorded in the Bible is right, then every word is, as Jesus and the apostles believed, 100% reliable. With the Bible, it's all or nothing. If you don't take every single word as a word from God, there's no salvation and you have no hope. You can't pick and choose the bits you believe. The Bible then is every word, the word of God. And the natural conclusion from that is, well, if every word comes directly from God, then you really ought to pay heed to it, don't you think? What does that mean, to heed the word of God? Well, first of all, it means reading it. But 
can I say to you that you do have to read the Bible sensibly? Actually, you just have to read it in the same way you would read every other book. People do some daft things with the Bible that they wouldn't do with any other book. People who should know better will, will do things like this. They'll take verses out of context and they'll see a meaning in them that was never intended by the people who wrote those verses. Or you'll hear people saying something like, God gave me a verse, and they take that verse without any thought about what comes before it or what comes after it, and they have a guess at what it means, and they make some big decision on the basis of it. People read the Bible and they expect it to light up, and if it doesn't, God hasn't spoken to them. That's not how it works. This is God's Word. It doesn't just become God's Word when the Holy Spirit gets to work. It's always God's Word. It's never not God's Word. And what it says is always the same. And it never changes and it never will. It says what the Holy Spirit intended it to say when he bore those holy men along as they were writing. So read it sensibly. Read it like you would any other book. Read it in order, not just bits here and there. And read it always asking the question, what did the original writer intend to say to the original readers? It only has one meaning. So each passage has only one message to convey. It won't say one thing to you and something to somebody else and a different thing to another person. Each passage has one meaning. That's what you've got to discern. And that's the meaning the person who wrote it intended it to have. More than reading it, you've also got to learn to understand it. You've got to learn how to discern what the original writer intended to say to the original readers. And that's not as difficult a thing to do as you might imagine, but it does take a bit of work. It takes a bit of thought and effort. Now, there isn't time for me now to go into how to study God's Word. You should get help if you need it, because it's crucial that you can understand it properly refer you back to check out that blog again. We did a little bit in that too about how to understand God's Word. When you're out in the dark and you don't have a lamp, you're going to try and get help from somebody else who does have a lamp. But don't follow somebody who has no more light than you. If you want to learn how to study God's Word, get help with it, but look to somebody who knows how to do it. Read the Bible sensibly understand it, and of course heeding it means acting on what you read. These are God's words. You don't ignore them. They're not just here to make interesting reading. It says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. People who don't act on what they read in the Bible, well, they haven't properly thought about what it is that they have in their hands. And what usually happens if you don't act on what you read and learn from the Bible is that you end up getting bored with it. I think it's one of the reasons why so many people get bored with Bible study and Bible reading. They either get bored with it or, as happens to a lot of other people, they become obsessed with doctrine and minutiae and they bore everybody else with it. 
Read it sensibly, understand it, act on it, and use it as your guide. When you're in a dark place, you need light, but you don't just sit and stare into the light just for the experience. That actually puts you in more danger. You use the light to illuminate the darkness, to guide you, to show you where to go. And you've got to be able to do that with the Bible. You've got to be able to use your Bible to discern which direction to take, to help you make wise decisions, to keep you from falling into danger, to reveal the things that could be obstacles to your progress, to help you discern things that are good and things that are not, to help you discern between good teaching and deceptive words to show you what lies ahead of you. Can you do that? Can you use the Bible that way? How do you do it? How do you make the Bible your guide for your light? Well, first of all, you've got to make up your mind that you're going to do it. Some people don't. They do just stare into the light. And having made up your mind that you're going to use the Bible as your guide, you've got to make your first thought at every turn, what does God have to say about this? Any decisions that you have to make, any changes of direction in life, small decisions, big decisions, the first thought should always be, does God have something to say about this? What does God have to say? And then you've got to go and look for the answer in the Bible. You have to be able to find your way about the Bible to do that. You need to know where to look, so you need to be pretty familiar with it. That's another reason for reading the Bible frequently and often. You get familiar with it so that when the questions come up, you know where to go to look for the answers. You might not remember the answer, but you have a fair idea where to start looking. When decisions have to be made, you don't always have time for three or four hours of Bible study. You have some work to be done ahead of time so that you're ready when the decisions have to be made. You see, Bible knowledge has to be stored up. It's not a book that you just take up and read for the little bit of whatever it gives you for today. You've got to store up that knowledge for when you need it. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does that mean? The word hidden in his heart. Well, it means you've got to memorize big chunks of the Bible. Well, as well as memorizing it, it means that you've got to internalize it. And by that, I mean that God's Word has to become part of you. Your thinking has to be transformed by it at the deepest level. You have to become a biblical person through and through. When a question arises or a situation calls for discernment, biblical thoughts should start to come out of you. It should be the most natural thing. The word should be woven into your personality. That's what the psalmist means when he says, I have hidden your word in my heart. The Apostle Paul takes the same idea, and he develops it a little bit further in Colossians 3. He said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. The same idea, God's word becoming part of us and then flowing out in our relationships with other believers, 
having light for ourselves, casting that light all around for other people in conversation, in fellowship, in joyful interaction, all full of biblical wisdom and biblical truth. And the idea is there again in Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See what God's saying there to Israel? Love me with all your heart. And that means having my words in your heart too. And passing them on to your children and taking every opportunity to talk about them. Those words having influence in everything you do. Constantly turning to the word, keeping it before your eyes and then using it and acting on it. So, question, do you heed the word of God? Do you read it sensibly? Do you work at understanding it? Do you act on what it says? And do you use it as your guide? Is it written on your heart? Because if it's not, you're like a man stumbling about in the dark and there's no need for you to be stumbling about in the dark. If you do pay heed to God's word, it will guide you and it will keep you right. In the days before we got the big lights up, we used to keep a torch by the back door. The light from the torch was pathetic. It was better than no light at all, but it was still pretty pathetic. The light we have since we put those big floodlights up, well, there's no comparison. When God gives you light, he doesn't give you a pathetic wee torch with weak batteries. So when you pay heed to God's word, it'll help you make wise decisions. In the Bible, there's guidance for every situation. It might surprise you when you start to look for it. There's guidance for business practices. There's guidance for how to handle your money, how to conduct your relationships, resolving your differences with other people. It could go on and on. Every situation, God's word has something applicable to say about it. As well as that, the Bible will reveal God to you. There's no other way to know God other than through his word. If these are God's words, every one of them tells you something about him. Even the genealogies tell you something about God. It'll warn you of danger. You've got to be careful to heed its warnings. Warnings about company, about entertainment, about places to go and places not to go. It'll help you to spot bad teachers. It reveals, it lights up those subtle deviations from the truth that will catch you out if you're not watching for them. And it shows you where those things can lead. And with the Bible as your light and guide, you can be sure that what you believe is true and reliable, and you can be assured that you're building your life on a firm foundation. But above all, the Word of God will bring you encouragement and hope. It lights up the way ahead, you see, because the Bible keeps God's promises before you. And you need that more than anything in days when it appears that those promises are slow to be fulfilled. 
couple of new lamps in the backyard made a big difference compared to the torch, well, just doesn't compare. But when the sun comes up, well, that's a different story. We have the prophetic word which is more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. It's a dark, dangerous world. We get confused and we feel like we're stumbling about in the dark. One day the sun's going to come up and the place will be flooded with light and the danger will be gone forever because one day Jesus, the light of the world, is coming back. But until then, you've got to use that lamp. There's no need for you to be stumbling about in the darkness. So you want to be a strong, victorious Christian. That's what we've been on about these past three weeks. And Peter's told us you have all the faith you need to be a strong Christian if you just use it. He says you have everything else you need to be a strong, godly Christian. His divine power has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He said you must build yourself up. Give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. But as well as that, if you want to be strong, you've got to use that lamp. You know, it's not brave to go stumbling about in the dark when you have a torch in your pocket. It's not brave, it's just daft. Walk and stumble in the dark and the way will seem endless and you're sure to become discouraged and confused. You're likely to get lost, maybe even give up. You'll be a danger to yourself and you'll be a danger to others. But when the path is lit up, everything changes. We have the prophetic word which is more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Trouble is, most of us don't. We don't really use the Bible as our light and guide, not properly. Often that's because we just haven't taken the time to learn how or because we can't be bothered to put in the work. We think we're doing well with a quick read in the morning to get a wee buzz that gets us through the day. It takes more work and more time than that. You remember the Bereans, how they responded to the teaching of Paul and Silas, Acts 17. It says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. They put in the effort. Pay heed, keep paying careful heed to God's word until the day breaks. It might be a short time, it might be a long time. Peter's going to say in chapter 3, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And Paul says in Galatians 6, Let us not grow weary while doing good. In due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. He's coming again. And then everything 
will be bathed in light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this marvelous book. What a, a miracle it is. It gives us guidance for every situation in life. Help us, Lord, to appreciate just what we hold. Help us to be grateful for it and help us to then pay heed to it because it is the very word of the God who created all things and who will judge the earth. Help us, Lord, to walk in faithfulness to you in this thing so that we won't be stumbling about not sure what to do and unable to decide in which direction to take. We pray in Jesus' name.